really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Well, as always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend, and there is a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what? This segment is ordinarily about, you know, random things happening in my own personal life. But this week... We're using it to chat about the updated format for the pod in general. So as I've been saying for a few weeks now, there is just too much rugby happening most weekends now to cover it as thoroughly as I generally like to, while still maintaining roughly a half hour show, give or take. So I've been asking you, the listeners, what you think is the best way to handle all this. And with your help, I have finally decided what to do. So you may have noticed this week my various polls about your choices for games of the week in each of the competitions we cover here. And that is going to be our springboard going forward. For instance, our first poll this week was about Super Rugby Pacific, where you all said that Blues versus Brumbies and Moana Pacifica versus the Chiefs would be the games of the week. That means we'll do full uh, full coverage of those fixtures. Then the same thing goes for the Prem, the URC, the Top 14, and so on. Apart from that, we'll basically just run down scores, table positions, random thoughts, you know, general snarkiness that you're all well used to by now. This way, the listeners get what they've asked for. We don't have to skip any competitions, and we'll still hopefully keep the show at a reasonable length. Sabah, sabah. So all that being said, we can finally stop using these opening segments to discuss the format. So let's get stuck in, shall we? Yes, Isa, it is good news this week as some upcoming fixtures for teams like the Black Ferns have been officially announced. Quoting here from GoDaddy.com slash RugbyPass, quote, World Rugby Today confirmed details for the Pacific Four Series 2023, the annual cross-regional tournament contested by Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the USA. The Pacific Four Series enters its third year with New Zealand the reigning champions having won the 2022 title on home soil. In 2023, the series will take place over three windows and kicks off with a mouthwatering opening round between Canada and the USA in Madrid on the 1st of April. The second round will see Australia uh, host Rugby World Cup 2021 champions and Pacific Four Series 2022 winners New Zealand in late June. The series will then culminate in Canada when all four teams will compete over two weekends in early July for the right to be crowned 2023 champions. World Rugby Chief Executive Alan Gilpin said, quote, after a hugely successful and groundbreaking Rugby World Cup 2021 in New Zealand, 2023 will be another exciting year for women's rugby with women's 15s set to make its debut in October. With qualification for the women's world, uh, the women's 15s on the line, there is more at stake for competing teams at this year's Pacific Four Series, and we look forward to watching all the drama unfold across each round of the competition, unquote. World Rugby Head of Women's Competitions, Allison Hughes, said, quote, 
the Pacific Four Series continues to provide more consistent annual international playing opportunities for Australia, USA, Canada, and New Zealand. We have worked closely and collaboratively with competing nations and host unions to optimize the existing women's international and domestic calendar for this year's Pacific Four Series. With a significant number of USA and Canada players based in Europe, playing round one of the Pacific Four Series 2023 in April takes advantage of the extended break these players will uh, will face uh, while the domestic competitions in England and France pause for the women's Six Nations. We are delighted to be bringing the Pacific Four Series to new territories, including Spain in Madrid and hosting the final two rounds in Canada, unquote. In addition to the first round in Madrid, Spain and South Africa will face off against USA and Canada, respectively, on 25th of March as additional test matches at Estadio Nacional de la Universidad uh, Complutense de Madrid. Uh, Spain and South Africa will also meet on the 1st of April. World Rugby Chief of Women's Rugby Sally Horrocks said, quote, a key, a key commitment to our women's rugby strategy is to increase the frequency and competitiveness of international rugby in a sustainable manner. The Pacific Four Series is at the heart of that commitment, providing four of the world's top teams with annual high-level competition and, from this year, a route through to our inaugural Women's 15 competition. So good. And moving on to our thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week were on some crossover rugby slash NFL news. So this past season in the NFL, the word rugby came up more than usual, which is basically more than nothing, uh, because of the popularity of a new method of executing the quarterback sneak. Quoting here from SportingNews.com, quote, The Eagles were one of the most effective teams in short yardage situations during the 2022 NFL season, and it was thanks largely to their ability to execute the quarterback sneak at a high level. Philadelphia's preferred quarterback sneak was a rugby scrum style play. I don't know if they can say that. Um, during which Jalen Hurts would push forward with the ball while another player pushed him from behind. It was hard for teams to stop that momentum and power, and that's how the Eagles earned first downs on 29 of their 32 sneaks during the season. While the strategy was certainly effective, it has also drawn the ire of NFL rulemakers, more specifically the league's competition committee, as they meet for the 2023 NFL Combine. The league may consider a rule change that would disallow that type of play as a result. Naturally, the Eagles brass isn't pleased with that development and took time to defend the team's approach at the Combine on Tuesday. Quote, all I know is everything we're doing is legal and it works. Unquote. Eagles executive vice president and general manager Howie Roseman said per ESPN. Quote, and just because people do something that's really good doesn't mean it should be outlawed, unquote. Meanwhile, coach Nick Sirianni said that the Eagles would, quote, play with whatever rules they have, unquote, regarding the NFL's decision. He was also quick to point out that the efficacy of the sneak set up some exciting plays for the Eagles and could lead to more in the future. Quote, Obviously, it was a very successful play for us, Sirianni told a set of the sneak, but it wasn't the only thing we were doing in those situations. I think we had some exciting plays that came off of it when the defenses were trying to stop the push play they thought was coming, and that's kind of what football is, right? Unquote. The Eagles weren't alone in their defense of the sneak uh, The sneak play. Seahawks coach Pete Carroll believes the NFL should allow teams to keep running it. Why? Because he believes more teams will adopt it and create, quote, an opportunity for the game to evolve. I didn't initially understand or didn't realize how far they had gone with their commitment in terms of it looking like a rugby play in a scrum, Carroll explained. I thought that was an evolutionary opportunity for the league. So I have no idea. Uh, that was the end of the quote from Pete Carroll. Um, personally, I have no idea where they're going to end up ruling on this. You know, it all seems kind of silly in a way to me. Um, so they often say the NFL stands for the no fun league. So I imagine they'll continue to try to outlaw all forms of creativity. But in the meantime, 
The more times the word rugby gets mentioned on the air during NFL broadcasts, the better as far as I'm concerned. All advertising is good advertising, right? Right? That, of course, brings us to our reviews for the weekend. So we begin with Super Rugby Pacific, if for no other reason than it happens first on my calendar. If you recall, this was the so-called Super Round, with all games played at the same stadium, which last week I, I had called the AAMI Park, but learned this week they just call it the Amy, which I appreciate. So anyway, as promised, I ran a little poll this week asking for your picks for the game of the week, and you all voted for Moana Pacifica versus the Chiefs and Blues versus Brumbies. So... Moana Pacifica versus Chiefs was the third match of the Super Round, and it was what the comms described as, quote, a huge task, unquote. The Chiefs locker room absolutely brimming with all blacks. Damian McKenzie was again playing a 10, a position he's grown into nicely and seems to love, though I'm still surprised to see him anywhere but 15. Sure enough, Chiefs scored their first try literally 10 seconds in, intercepting an ill-advised pass off the kickoff, just the worst possible omen for the nominal hosts. Chiefs were scoring a point a minute through 26, and it began to look like a training session out there. Boy, now that they rid themselves of that Gatlin guy, the Chiefs are looking really good, right? <laughs> so 3-38 to with six tries was the score at the break. Moana Pacifica came out with renewed purpose in the second half and outscored the Chiefs 19-7 to before the Chiefs got a breakaway to effectively put it out, uh, out of reach. 29-52 to was the whopping final. Chiefs looking to send a message to the rest of the league early in the year. Blues versus Brumbies was our other marquee matchup, and right out of the gates, Blues discipline was shocking, just giving away penalties over and over, getting yellow carded for their efforts, then continuing to infringe to the tune of a penalty try and a second yellow. And, you know, Brumbies were happy to pounce on the opportunity. When you look at this Blues roster, it, it doesn't look like they should ever lose a game. And they showed that experience clawing their way, you know, back in it towards a 20-all scoreline as we headed towards the break. But it was Brumbies quickly scoring again to keep up the pressure. After a five-try first 40 minutes, Brumbies held a five-point edge. And incredibly, that's where things would stay. Zero points in the second half by either team. And it was the first Australian win over a Kiwi side this season. The Brumbies shocking the Blues in blistering Melbourne 25-20. to 20. Wow, really surprising. So in our non-featured action, we began with what looked like lambs to the slaughter, Crusaders versus my Highlanders. Things were not looking good for the boys from Dunedin this year. After losing by 40 last week, Highlanders again went down big, 52-15. to 15. Oof. Next was Rebels versus Hurricanes. Rebels got it very close late, but Canes, they were just still too much, winning 33-39. to 39. Then it was Fijian Drua versus the Waratahs. And after being tied at 10 at the break, Taz just went on a tear outscoring their opponents by a massive 29 points, 17 to 46 after the double whistle. Finally, we had Western Forces versus the Reds. And I have to interject. So remember last week, I mentioned how Australia is going all in to just try to get people's attention turned back to rugby. Lots of you know pregame stuff, hype videos, all kinds of social media stuff, legendary player appearances, everything. So for this one, they had a couple players outside the stadium asking random kids questions. And at one point, they asked a kid who would win in a fight between these two teams' mascots. The kid thought about it very seriously and then said, well, I reckon the koala. <laughs> the players asked him why that was, and he returned, I reckon he'd just jump on that bed. Rugby Australia, please, 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 more of this. You are killing it. I'm so here for it. Anyway. 
This one was a blowout from the get-go. The final match, setting our points total record for the weekend, a 20-71 to 71 beating to conclude our Super Round. Phew! couple quick side notes from this round of Super Rugby. First off, uh, Julian uh, Savia, he's only three tries away from breaking the all-time try-scoring record in Super Rugby. It'll be nice to see that particular record, currently held by Izzy Flau, fall this year. Uh, Comms highlights included, it's like a giraffe with a sore throat. It's not a small problem. (laughs) I'm still cracking up over that one. Great stuff. So, Moving over just slightly to the Super Rugby uh, Alpiki. In the Alpiki, there were only the two fixtures, so no need for polling here. Uh, we began with the Blues women versus the Chiefs of Manawa, and it was Ruby Tui on the sideline comms to get us started. I wonder if she's already positioning herself for a sort of life post-Blackferns. In any event, Chiefs Manawa, they uh, treated us to a stirring haka right at the top. I had a feeling we were in for a great one in the scorching sun. The Blues women could only manage one try in the first half. It looked like a good old-fashioned blowout, but... Second half was another story, and for a brief while, it was anyone's game. However, another offensive explosion by the visiting side put it away for good. It was 33-50 to 50 at the end, and then it was Matatu versus the Hurricanes Pua. It wasn't until close to the final quarter of play that the Pua took a slim, slim lead. This one balanced on a knife. It was 19-20. to 20. Under 10 minutes, it was still a one-point affair, 24 to 25. Just riveting stuff. So good. I felt sure Matatu would regain the lead and force a showdown of the unbeatens next weekend, but 24 to 25 was where it would end. I'm enjoying the the momentum that this comp is bringing, though. Really cool stuff. So switching gears and continents back to the top 14, here is a silly stat for you. Out of the seven fixtures in the top 14 this weekend, Four of them were between teams who were exactly eight places apart on the league table. Number 11, Cast versus number three, Lyon. Number 12, Poe versus number four, La Rochelle. Number 13, Perpignan versus number five, Bayon. And number 14, Brive versus number six, Bordeaux-Begle. Obviously, that was all about to change. So the results of the Twitter poll were pretty much what I was hoping for with Toulon versus Stade Francais and Racing 92 versus Toulouse, uh, Toulouse getting the nod. In the first, the first quarter hour was as close as you could like. The home side grabbing a one-point lead as the tension continued to bloom. Great atmosphere in this one. Side note, that Toulon kit, it's its classic. They and a couple other of the French teams have that sort of upside-down V-cut on the back of their collar. There's just something so classy about that. I haven't the foggiest idea why I like it so much, but there it is. So as we say here in Massachusetts, irregardless, Cheslin Colbe was having a great night, and so was his team, up 23-9 to after 50 minutes. The remaining half hour only had joy for the home side, and the drink boxes were vanquished 37-9. to Over in Paris, it was a revelation to see Finn showing up <laughs> before the game in a suit, but under the elegant jacket, he had on a puffy down vest, which is a fashion statement with which I am thoroughly unfamiliar on the field, of course, he was transcended at the outset. It, it's almost like he, he's got a controller for a video game version of himself. It's otherworldly. And it was he who nicely set up the first try of the match to the fake-soundingly named Max Spring. Uh, Got to give it to the crowd, by the way. They were in top form, but a yellow to Eddie Ben Arus had the comms in a tizzy. But for sure, there was a bit of a buzz about this game. It was pretty great. Um, quote, so much drama in the opening seven minutes. It's insane, unquote, shouted the comms. And as if listening, Movaka went in on a shifty little play and made sure he looked damn good doing it. This one got better and better. 20 to 26 at the break. And right as rain, it was 30 to 36 with 17 minutes and counting. 
very quick side note. I didn't recognize the ref for this one, the, the lead official. I, I kind of worried about that, but in the end, he was really solid. I don't recall complaining about anything he did, which for me, that, you know, kind of a novelty. Anywho, Finn's inability to convert some seriously easy points would really bite his team in the butt. He's been catching all kinds of flack for it already on socials this week. Um, but by the way, when y'all voted overwhelmingly for this to be the game of the week, I mean, you couldn't have been more right. It was 35 to 39 headed into the final eight and a half minutes. However, Rassing, as they've done quite a bit this year, showed their inconsistency. 35 to 39 was the final score in an incredible match. So moving on to our sort of non-featured results, we started with Montpellier versus Claremont, where it was the Cobus Reinach show, Montpellier laying down a marker against the trialist visitors, 34 to 6. Then we had the four mentions, uh, the four matches I already mentioned, placing the uh, eight place gap teams against each other, as I mentioned earlier. Perpignan versus Bayonne was a close one, ending 34 to 27. Poe versus La Rochelle was an absolute cracker. The lead changing hands several times just in the dying minutes. La Rochelle eventually prevailing on the road, a crusher for Poe, really, 32 to 36. Then we had Cast versus Lyon. This one had the home team up 13 to 10 at the half, but despite a yellow, Lyon really fought back, but still went down 27 to 22. And finally, Breve versus Bordeaux Begla. It was another nice win for my little Border Beagles, this time on the road, in fact, winning 7 to 28 to finish off this round. Okay, moving over to the Prem. The polling results were split exactly evenly, which I kind of appreciated. That meant our games of the week were Harlequins versus Exeter. Yes. And Sale versus Saracens. So for the Quinns fixture, there were some impressive pyrotechnics in the lead-up. I assume that was in honor of Danny Kerr inventing fire back when he was, I guess, in his early 20s. Heady times, those. In all seriousness, it was actually his 266th appearance in the Prem, just one slot behind Steve Borthwick. Incredible. Marcus Smith looked almost comically energetic in his return to club duty, and I foresaw a big performance from him. Sure enough, it was an insane pinpoint kick from Smith to Esterhausen, uh, who beautifully gave it to Murley for the first try of the game. Quinns, there's so much fun to watch when they're clicking. So a yellow against the Chiefs led quickly to a second try for the host. And speaking of Danny Kerr, his ridiculous spinning offload that led to their third try, it, it belonged to the Museum of Things un Unreal. Just holy cow. Um, Marchant was in there for their fourth at the half hour mark, and Exeter were in big trouble. It was a shutout at the half. Harlequins up 26 to nil. Bit of controversy late as the comms called for a penalty try when the official said it was just a penalty. I had to think the comms were right in this one. It was an offside intercept rather than something, you know, I guess more traditionally obvious like an intentional knock on. But the fact was, it outright prevented a try, which I thought was kind of, you know, the factor in awarding a penalty try. Isn't that the nature of the whole thing? Anyway, it was well and truly over just an absolute butt kicking for Exeter. Harlequins looked very impressive indeed, though it might be too late for them this year. 40 to 5 was your final. And then over in Printerland, they began by the teams coming out each accompanying representatives for various differently abled teams from all over. And oh, that kind of move, it just gets me in the heart. A beautiful sight it was every now and then, just every once in a while. Rugby really does something good. Loved it. So as for the game itself, I had high hopes for a tight one. Saracen's obviously not quite as invulnerable away from the confines of the Stone X. 
This away kit for series, by the way. Oh my God, it's an abomination. Anyway, the visitors looked in control for the first half hour or so, but Sharks fought back, making it 14 to 19, headed into the locker room. Did anyone else notice that halftime seemed extra long in this one? Anyway, um, the most blue collar named man on earth, Joe Carpenter, leveled things up around 55 minutes, Sale taking their first lead on the conversion. Then, off some mistakes from a goal line dropout, it was John O'Ross extending that lead. And if it was any other team but Saracens, I would have written game over in the old notebook. Quote, we were expecting a tight game, and that's what we've got, unquote, said the comms. And yes, please, more of that. 28 to 24 at that stage, but a red to the guests voted poorly. And that's when it happened. New rule, people. Saracens, with an attacking line out deep, what did they do? They huddled up. And it took no time at all for the ref to ping them, give the ball back to Sale, who couldn't believe their luck. Of course, six times this year, Saracens have pulled a rabbit out of their collective butt to secure a win at the death. But when Nick Tompkins incurred a penalty for swearing at the ref, the writing was on the wall, quote, a lot of back chat coming out of London mouths, unquote, they said. Jean-Luc Duprius, he slashed his way through for a fantastic game-winning score, and by the end, it was the third loss for Saracens and a boost to Sharks' postseason hopes, doing really well right now, 35-24 to at the A.J. Bell. So the other three fixtures in the Prem this weekend, of course, included Bristol versus Northampton, where the Bears won by their highest ever margin, while Saints lost by their largest ever margin, 62-8. to What a result! Uh, Leicester versus Bath was yet another poor result for Bath, who lost 48 to 27. And to finish off the round, it was Newcastle versus London Irish. It took the hosts the entire first half to even get going, but they were unable to catch up by the end, losing at home 19 to 34. <laughs> Worthy of note, comms highlights from this weekend in the Prem included, whatever you're doing right now, you should stand up and applaud Charles Piatow. And you know what? That's exactly what I did. So moving over to the URC, and you know what? Our URC poll this week kind of surprised me a little bit. I really assumed people would have been as keen as I was for Munster versus Scarlets, given the return of R.G. Snyman, but I was very wrong. The clear winners were Stormers versus Sharks and Cardiff versus Ulster. So down in South Africa, it was a gorgeous day and a truly impressive crowd at Cape Town Stadium, 30,000 plus on the hand, they said. Both teams kind of just felt each other out for a little while, kicking and probing and just kind of getting a feel for it, where they might attack as things wore on. As usual, both teams were more than happy to just take points any and every time they were on offer. Bosch getting the first for the Sharks, bringing his total this year to 74. However, the home team started scoring tries. Sharks would have to change tactics if they wanted to stay in this one. They briefly mentioned the remaining schedules for these two teams, which mirror each other very closely, both ending their seasons against Benetton and Munster. But the difference is, for the third game, Sharks will have the Scarlets, while Stormers have to travel to Dublin to face Leinster. What a clash that could be. As I write this, Leinster are still unbeaten, while Stormers have won 17 consecutive home games. So it seems like that home field advantage could very well play into the conclusion of the Stormers' campaign and attempts to make it two in a row. So anywho, it was 19-6 to at the start of the second half. The ref was quickly getting annoyed with infractions on the part of the Sharks, who looked like they were getting a bit frustrated. The comms mentioned the litany of Springboks. Both teams would be getting back soon, which made me wonder, like, where are they? Did the governing body just give them all a mandated break of some kind? Anyway, Blumanches, uh, he got his second score shortly thereafter. Remember last week when I complained about 
everyone playing Sweet Caroline. Yeah, it literally drowned out the communication between the ref and the TMO as they reviewed that try. Oy vey already. So it was almost the final quarter of play when Sharks finally got a try. Things started to get very exciting after that. Two yellows for Stormers led to a furious comeback by the visitors. Suddenly it was 26-23 with just six and a half minutes to go. That was as close as they would get, however. And by the end, it was Stormers with their 18th consecutive home win and 12th straight over South African opponents, 29-23 to at full time. So Cardiff versus Ulster was, again, marred by the pre-match talk, all about just the bad news in Wales. It just keeps coming, in particular with Cardiff, with the coach apparently being very straightforward with the players. And the fact is, they can't really play pay a lot of them anymore, like at all. I'm honestly sticking my head in the sand on this. I just can't get over how dire it all seems. It just it doesn't make any rational sense, I guess. So I'm just kind of pretending it's not happening. Easy way over here where I live, I guess. Anyway, it seemed close early on, a conversion, all that separated these two teams. But then it was Jacob Stockdale getting his first try in almost two years, they said, and bringing Ulster in front convincingly as Doak got Ulster's third try. You could see the Cardiff players already starting to sort of look around at one another as if wondering who was to blame. Signs weren't good. Side note, Holly Davidson was the lead official for this one, which was a lovely surprise. I just love the way she handles everything. Just completely no nonsense, but with that sort of knowing half smile on her face the whole time. I honestly think she's the top official in the URC right now. In any case, it was 8-21 to going into the break. Things did not improve for the hosts. Lowry had a nice performance for Ulster. I'd somehow forgotten all about him. Nice to see him tearing it up. When all was said and done, it was 20-42 to for a potentially returning to form Ulster. Then Munster versus Scarlet's the one I was looking forward to, at least. It was a great one. As I said, it was really nice to see R.G. Snyman, the fireman himself, back on the pitch for Munster, who spent the first half obliterating their guests before kind of forgetting how to play defense in the second half, allowing a lovely comeback and a dramatic finish while still taking care of business 49-42 to in a high-scoring thriller. So next up, Glasgow versus Zebra. This one was just a complete walkover. 50-8. to Yikes. And then for Bulls versus Lions, I mean, if you're going to sit there and ask me, was there a breakdance contest between the mascots ahead of time? Uh, you bet your ass there was. <laughs> it was amazing. So a true seesaw affair. The visitors eventually pulled away 25 to 29. I know I just spoiled the result, but if you are looking for a good rewatch in the next couple days, man, oh man, was this one good. So then we had Edinburgh versus Leinster. The Edinburgh Mouse wriggled free of the Leinster Anaconda coils for, you know, a good little while there. But in the end, there's no escape. There's no escape. It was a slow, crushing 27 to 47. By the way, there were audible Leinster, Leinster chants in the crowd right towards the end. What's that all about? Come on. Anyway, Ospreys versus Benetton ended with a microcosm of Welsh rugby, the potentially winning conversion barely doinking off the edge of the post. Benetton getting a gritty win on the road, 20-21. to 21. And then Dragons versus Connacht was our last offering of the round. It was close despite concurrent red and yellow cards against the home side. In the end, it was the Dragons again being slain. This time, just by two small points, losing again at home, 20-22. to 22. And, quote, the Dragons' challenge dies in a cold Newport evening, unquote, proclaimed the comms. Dire times. Ouch. Back over here in the States, 
It was the MLR. That's right. It was week three in season six of Major League Rugby. As my team was on a bye week, I honestly didn't pay a great deal of attention to the other action. That being said, I definitely checked out the results. And this weekend, we had the Dallas Jackals again getting it handed to them, this time by the Seattle Seawolves, 10-35 to 35 by the end. Uh, that was the only Friday matchup. The only Saturday fixture was the sneaky little snakes of Atlanta getting a convincing win over a reeling NOLA team who are on a record-setting losing streak right now, 29-16 to 16 at the Gorilla Cage. The other three fixtures were all on early Sunday afternoon with the Windy City Pups going down at home to the rugby team of Latter-day Saints, 10-14. to 14. Uh, The New Jersey Summer House Painters thoroughly smacking the ill-fated team from D.C., 34-8, to 8, and... The big one this weekend, the Thundercats hosting the formidable San Diego Legion where the home field may have made the difference. Kitties winning 31 to 26 in an instant classic quite around in the MLR. Great stuff. Well, my friends. By that music, you'll of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Charles Piatow. Mr. Piatow, if there is a high-level rugby skill that you didn't have on display this weekend, I have no idea what it could possibly be. You overpowered people, you sidestepped them, you slashed through multiple defenders using your absurd lateral speed. All the while, it was those soft hands and those elegant, ridiculous flip passes and offloads that set up your teammates for tries again and again. You are truly world-class, and on top of it all, you can do all these things without a single hair on your head moving even a millimeter. Charles Piatow superhuman rugby player and star of the weekend congratulations to you for you are this week's diamond in the ruck award winner well done sir okay that brings us to our updates and previews First of all, Six Nations returns for the penultimate rounds on March 11th and 12th, with Italy taking on Wales in Rome to start us off Saturday morning, followed by England back at Twickenham for a bit of a stumbling France team. Very, very curious to see how that one unfolds. Then, of course, on Sunday, it'll be Scotland, home at Murrayfield to face currently unstoppable Ireland. Uh, You know, this one scares me to death. Anyway, the top 14 in the URC are actually taking a two-week break. They won't be back until March 24th and 25th. The Prem, however, is still in full swing. It's going to bring us Northampton versus Bath on Friday, Exeter versus Newcastle on Saturday, and then three Sunday fixtures, a little odd. Gloucester versus Leicester, London Irish versus Sale, and finally Bristol versus Harlequins. Could be a nice one. So down in Super Rugby Pacific, we'll have the Chiefs versus the Highlanders. Come on, Highlanders. Uh, Rebels versus the Waratahs. The Fijian Drua versus Crusaders on Friday, followed by Hurricanes versus Blues, Brumbies versus Reds, and the Western Forest versus Moana Pacifica on Saturday. In the Opiki, it's the final round. It's Chiefs Manawa versus Matatu. Finally, Hurricanes Pua versus Blues Women to wrap up this entire competition. Very cool. So back here in the States and kind of Canada, I guess, it's round four in Major League Rugby, kicking off, of course, with my beloved Free Jacks making their triumphant return to Fort Quincy, where I will be for their first home game of the year. We'll be facing Old Glory DC, 
Also on Saturday, the Second City Puppies will face the artist formerly known as the Toronto Arrows. San Diego will be back at the Snapdragon to face Dallas. And finally, Seattle will be home to take on Houston. Ooh, that's a good one. On Sunday, Nola will be back in Louisiana to welcome the New Jersey fast food workers to finish off the week. And then, obviously, on the horizon, so much stuff. The Women's Six Nations gets going on March 25th, which is just a week before we get back into the round of 16 and the European Cups. That's the same weekend. The Sevens go back to Hong Kong for both the men's and the women's sides. That is going to be unbelievable. Is March the ultimate rugby month? I'm starting to think so. Wow. Oh, well, my friends, that does it. For another week, I am very happy with our new format. If you agree or disagree, either way, just let me know. I'm always keen to make things better here on the Scrum of the Earth. If you're a new listener who found us by virtue of the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective podcast that just dropped last Friday, do me a favor and let me know. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or just general chit-chat. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And my friends, be well.